do you know these people, these wanted men? It, it's it's very very bizarre. It's like I just I just play dress up for a hobby, man. Come on, leave me alone. I don't want to be hunted down. I'm not a murderer. Leave me be. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here once again with a special guest. Reese, thanks for coming back on the program. Hi Chris, thanks for having me back. Great to be here again. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you again. Um, for people who maybe didn't listen or, or don't remember your previous episode, maybe you could just give a very brief sort of uh, reintroduction on what you do in World War II Reenactor. Absolutely. So my name's Reese. I'm the founder and group runner of uh, SSTK Living History Group. We are a uh, living history organization based in the UK, but specializes in portraying the Waffen SS from 1941 to 1945. I'm also a member of other societies including German army groups, uh, Soviet Second World War groups, and other periods as well. So our topic for today is going to be media relations as that pertains to World War II reenacting. Really kind of a very tr tricky topic, but also I think an interesting one, and one, Reese, that you have had some experience with in your time as a reenactor. Yeah, that's quite right. I mean, it's very rare to find uh, any Second World War German reenactor who hasn't had at least some experience with the media, be it direct or indirect. Um, of course, uh, my organisation, uh, thankfully, has uh, had a pretty clean record up until, you know, maybe a year or so ago. Um, we were involved, well, we were mentioned uh, in an article um, of a of an organisation that was looking into Second World War reenacting in the UK. Um the driver for this was a unrelated incident with another group um, without going into specifics or naming any individuals. Um, uh, they were they were viewed uh, negatively in this article and the article aimed to investigate other societies and quite alarmingly identify people within these organizations as well. So it was quite a, quite a challenging and unique piece of media to deal with for us. That is really frightening, um, you know, not only to have a media organization that is looking at reenacting in general, but looking at you and looking specifically to identify people who are in reenactment organizations. That's uh, that's very concerning. N not that uh, reenactors in general are, are really trying to hide from the public in most cases, but nobody wants their real name in some kind of media hit piece on any topic, really. Mm, yeah. I mean, this hobby itself, I mean, you speak to many reenactors globally. It's a very public-facing hobby. I mean, we're no strangers to having our faces in the people, you know, people either attending events or in front of educators or whatever. Um, but yeah, the developments like that are 
quite concerning, um, <laughs> especially if certain accusations or you know assumptions are made about individuals within these organizations, which may or may not be true. Sure, it puts people on the defensive, and nobody likes that. It is also true that there are a lot of reenactors who have sensitive jobs or for one reason or another are not really in a position where they are able to kind of be public about a hobby that has controversial aspects like this where you're wearing a world war ii german uniform and everything that goes along with that um so i think it is reasonable for people to want to have some level of of anonymity in this thing and i think it's certainly very reasonable for people to want to keep their names out of the press in any case no, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's I mean, we're getting into the topic of ethics here, but uh, it, it's my my view that everyone's entitled to a private life, regardless of what they do for a hobby. Um, so it's one thing I do as a as a group leader. I mean, if you participate in in my events, you do not have to have your face plastered all over the internet of you wearing an SS uniform, whatever uniform you happen to be wearing. If you don't want to be in photographs, that's fine. If you want to be in photographs but have them blurred so you can't be identified, that's also totally fine as well. Um, Ultimately, um, while we all do this hobby to have fun, we all do this to enjoy ourselves and to you know, experience a life as Second World War German soldier. Ultimately, people have real lives. They've got kids to feed. They've got houses to pay for. So their safety and security is my utmost priority. I have a duty of care as a group leader in that respect. So respecting their wishes and making sure that they are comfortable with what they're doing is a total priority for me. My attitude about how I handle talking to the media with regard to my reenactment hobby has changed a lot over time. I remember when I was a new reenactor, uh, a young person, I didn't keep what I was doing with reenacting a secret from anybody. I was very proud of it. I, uh, I would talk to newspaper reporters or other reporters at events. I was in a lot of local newspapers. I was in, um, I was on the national news one time in the United States when I was a young reenactor, which was like kind of a, a positive piece about reenacting. No, that's right. And then some years later, there was, yeah, that was, well, that wouldn't happen today, I don't think. <laughs> Quite. Um, there was a reenactment that I was at where there was an accident and somebody got hurt. And it made headlines locally, and I was uh, interviewed by the local TV news affiliate, came out with a camera crew, and I explained what had happened. And then that story got picked up by sort of um, national and even international news. I know that I was even in uh, some UK news website, it can still be found, <laughs> um, talking about this accident that had happened. And in all of this, I was very open about what I do, what my reenactment group was about, what it is that we did at reenactments. But um, nowadays, I have taken a different approach to it. And my most recent encounter with the press at an event, it was a few years ago now, at a public display event. And the person was asking a lot of questions. And they, the reporter asked me my name, and I gave a false name. And I was really glad that I did because when that news article came out, it was a very scathing and very negative sort of hit piece about reenactment and about the public mm, reenactment mm, that I mm. was at. And I was so glad 
I was the first person in my group who was asked for their name and I gave the fake name and everybody in my group followed my lead. And that wound up being, I think, very helpful because I would not want this particular news article to be coming up in the context, you know, the, the way that it describes what's happening at the event. It's, it's very, I think, biased and very negative. Um, I wouldn't want that to come up if somebody did a Google search on my name. Mm. No, 100%. And you know, we're talking about a hobby where people are incredibly passionate about what they do. People want to shout about um, the activities they take part in. And while I don't want to tar every single journalist or media organization with the same brush, because that's incredibly un- unfair, um, there, there is no question that, especially in recent years, um, at least anecdotally speaking, um, I've seen far more negative, more sensationalist style um, pieces of journalism related especially to Second World War gem reenactment aiming at the shock value side of things um, it's it's an incredibly tight line to walk now and you know, sadly if, if I was ever approached at an event to give comment for an organisation we would be out of there as quickly as we could we wouldn't give a single comment or wish to be identified photographed or anything like that um, so it's 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 real concerning really there is there is a, there are a lot of groups or and individuals who uh, you know in some cases through no fault of their own have fallen foul of this and you know we are we are no exception in that regard you know um an incident that's unrelated to us and ends up getting our name in the press despite uh, no action of our own which does bring me on to something quite interesting um I, I know you'll want to ask about this in a moment or so but it's uh it's all to do about um how reenactment groups deal with the media um my approach has always been that it's not a question of if the media um, eventually identifies you, if you get to a certain size and you attend events, it's a question of when. Um, so my approach has always been to keep as clean a nose as we can. Um, it, when we spoke in the last episode about SS reenacting, we talked about recruitment policies and how stringent we are. This is exactly what I am talking about. This is why we have to be so careful of who we recruit and what people say, what people do, both inside and outside of the hobby, does affect us. And even events unrelated to us means that, you know, eventually the camera could be pointed on us as something that wasn't even done. So when the story broke, which we referred to earlier, um, I was approached by a journalist through uh, through our email account who said, look, I'm interested in running a story. Um, I want to feature you in it. Do you want to comment? We ignored it. I approached my group and I said, look, here's what's going to happen. This isn't the first time I've dealt with media in this regard. They are they can they can say all they can really say is that we exist and this is what we portray because we haven't said anything. We haven't done anything. And all our imagery is our own, you know, it's on it's on our private pages, so that's fine. They can't use that without permission, even if they put a copyright claim on it, which, you know, we'll get into that in a moment. <laughs> but um, that's all they could do, because we don't make public statements. We don't go on the record. We don't talk about what we do. And when the article came out, true enough, all they could say is, this group portrays this and this here's their pictures which we'll get into later but yeah that's that was it it that was that was damage limitation for me um and it's something i think groups should be very wary of because you know what you post and what you say and what you do can come back to haunt you that's not just true in reenacting that's just true in life in general these days i believe Absolutely. I think, you know, you sort of alluded to a different group that you're not associated with that had gotten some negative press. And when the reporters started to look at 
um, some of the people who they they thought were involved with this group, they started to see some online activity that they could sensationalize, you know, that they could, that it was uh, bad optics, a person could say. And, um, you know, had, had they not found that, that story might not have had the, the legs that it did have and might not have eventually become sort of this investigative journalist, um, side quest thing that that started to ensnare other people i mean that's just speculation but um certainly i see your point where as reenactors in general we do need to be extremely conscious of of really kind of everything that we post online um and know that this could this could create problems down the road if it's something um, unsavory or if you know it's in some some place or manner that can be linked with you as a reenactor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite right. I mean, while we all try, I mean, at least from my point of view, uh, my organization runs as tight a ship as we can. We are fully conscious of the fact that you know we are reenactors, and anyone looking from the outside could say, well, if one reenactor thinks this, what do the others think? It's very easy to be tarred with the same brush. So, you know, we, we, we are in control of our own image to some degree. But I think everyone just needs to be aware that, you know, your actions may not just impact you, but they may impact people who don't even in, in ever foresee it, it coming. And I wish it didn't have to come to that. But that's that's the way the world works. I mean, we portray something that is incredibly sensitive. Um, you know, it's easy if you're involved in this hobby to forget, um, you know, and become desensitized to a lot of what we do. Um, but to some, what we do is quite shocking. And I think it's just important to bear it in mind, you know, not necessarily take it to heart if you don't want to, but just bear in mind optics and how things can be perceived because you never know how it's going to come back to you. As sort of a, an outsider looking into the UK scene, I have noticed over the years that there have been a bunch of, uh, attempts to disparage World War II reenacting, to make reenactors look foolish or make them look like they're a bunch of political extremists or whatever, coming out of various UK media outlets Mm. and media organizations that attended events. And of course, we have that here too in the United States. As I mentioned, I was featured in in one such sort of article and there have been others but I feel like the overall climate, when we look at um, media coverage of reenacting, it, I think that it has become really negative. Um, I did talk to some people who were involved with some of the other previous hit pieces on reenactment mm-hmm. from one media organization or another and all of those people told me that they had been assured that the coverage was going to be positive and that they had trusted basically the people that they had talked to the representatives from the media organizations but that that trust i guess was misplaced and in the end they were horrified to be um shown as if they were the face of something evil and horrible Mm -hmm. so um that is something that kind of weighs on my mind every time I have interactions with media organizations. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for every journalist, every organization, or every reenactor who's had encounters with the media. Um, but that said, I've I've never seen anything in a you know in a in a documentary about reenacting that hasn't had at least some grain of truth to it, or at least something I have personally seen. Every time I've seen a documentary. Um, of reenactors 
portrayed in negative light I've seen. I've always think to myself, yep, I've seen that in an event. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. It's why we don't say anything, because it's what you say and what you do that is ultimately what's printed. I mean, that's that's all they've got. If you don't give them anything, all they can say is, yeah, this is the name of the group. They exist. That's all they've got. So the more you speak, the more you do, the more the more rope you have to hang yourself with, unfortunately. Well, there is... Um it, it's, it can be tough. Like my reenactment group does have a, a sort of a, a website, an outpost online. And that does give some information about kind of what our approach is and what it is that we do. Um, that's all stuff that we've made public and that a media, you know, a, a TV or a newspaper reporter could include that and run with it. And it's, it's tough because I think there is this desire to make yourself public enough that mm-hmm. you could potentially recruit new members or, um, you know, make important contacts with other enthusiasts or people in this community. Um, but on the other side, there is this sort of mandate for secrecy that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. anything you say can or will be used against you, sort of. Yeah, it's a terrible catch-22 position. And trust me, especially being primarily an SS reenactor, I know that. I know that full well. Um, it is a very difficult line to walk. Um, it's why, you know, primarily we mainly do private events and the public events we do do, we, we support them because we want to be there. Um, you know, we, we don't like to be too visible, but we just want to be visible enough, you know. So we keep a, a good hold of our social media footprint. Um, for example, you know, Instagram's a big one, you know, journalists love to use that to peruse photographs, it's super easy, it's basically just a search engine, if you really think about it, so we set all of that to private, so uh, I don't know how it is with US media law, but if you take something from a private Instagram in UK law, I'm pretty sure in, in European law as well, um, that's copyright infringement, which is, um, let's just say how we dealt with the, the previous incident that we referred to earlier. So, let's let's talk about that, let's talk about... Um the article that came out and and how you guys responded for people who aren't aware Mm -hmm. of this incident an article was printed it um had a lot of negative things to say about reenacting and Mm reenactors it had commentary from pundits who were uh very opposed to reenacting and the article was lavishly illustrated with photographs Mm -hmm. of reenactors uh taken from sources online so Mm -hmm. um you know I can definitely understand not wanting to have a person's likeness in an article like that. What steps existed for you guys to take um, to try to to try to get out of that situation? Okay, well, um, this primarily relates to uh, European and UK um, privacy laws, um, all to do with copyright mainly. Um, so for us, um, we found our photographs have been used um, with a copyright. Mark, this is, you know, said the name of the group. That's not a defense against uh, copyright infringement, I'm afraid. Um, technically, uh, you know, if you have public facing accounts, Facebook or, you know, Instagram, for example, and these are private, these, sorry, these are public facing um, platforms, they can, they can use that. That's fine. That's, that's fair use of a bit of credit as far as they're concerned. Um, we switched all of our social media to private. Um, I got in touch with the institution in question. I said, look, you know, your, your journalist has run a story. They've 
they've used these photographs. Um, we didn't give permission for these photographs to be used. They've then checked internally and said, well, did you ask them for permission? The journalist has obviously said no. And they've said, right, well, that's a problem. So they took those down. Um, that was just fortunate on our part, really. Um, so now everything we do is pretty tightly locked down. So if anything was used in the future, that, that defence, at least from a UK organisation, would be watertight. Um, if your content's public-facing or if you did not take the photograph, say the journalist took the photo of you, tough. <laughs> that's, their, that's their photograph. That's their right. Um, so there's very little you can do about that. So really, we just got exceptionally lucky there, if I'm being perfectly honest. But, you know, not everyone's going to know media law, especially if they haven't studied it. So it can be very intimidating. I mean, even from my point of view, you know, I had, you know, you had people who were concerned um with their likeness appearing i thought you know it's it's not so much a concern for me but for other people who may have you know who may be in a different position to me that can be very scary and a lot to deal with as a group leader especially if you're unfamiliar with the law so my, my advice would be know your law uh know understand copyright in your country and just be prepared because like i said if I, I believe it's a question of if not when right sure how did it make you feel? Um, I guess you knew that there might be something coming out because you had been contacted by mm. a journalist. But when you uh, woke up that morning and saw that article and the pictures with it, what was your sort of gut reaction that, that morning? Well, I'd immediately, I mean, I, I was informed about the article the day before it was released. Um, so when the article broke, I opened it, <clears throat> obviously saw images and I was flicking through and I was like, what have they said about us? What have they said about us? And bizarrely, my first reaction was just, oh, thank God. They've just used the, the bio of what we described ourselves as because they had nothing else to say about us because we hadn't commented. We don't, you know, we haven't said anything to them or appeared in any other media outlets. So yeah, for me, it was just a case of, right, I can see an issue of copyright here. I'm really not happy with this. And yeah, it's very stressful. But I knew I could handle it. I knew it could be dealt with. So it was only a matter of time. And within maybe an hour and a half, the entire issue had been resolved. Um, you know, the only thing that was mentioned in the article about us is that we exist, which, like I said, is exactly what I thought they were going to say, because that's all they had. So it was very stressful. And I think, especially if you're targeted on an individual basis, especially when, it, when it's an article that says, do you know these people? That's a very, very scary thing. And you know, especially for people who, you know, by and large, for the most part, are just hobbyists, are just enthusiasts. But it's so easy for it to be ruined, right? By some people who are, you know, maybe not, don't have the right intentions or, you know, maybe have uh, views which would be considered unorthodox, to put it politely. Um, so, yeah, it was very intimidating. But luckily, I understood exactly what was you know, going to happen and was able to respond to it. And I think if some people aren't familiar with the media and how law works, they're going to struggle even more so than I did, which, you know, believe me, was quite a stressful period for me. When you sent that email um, saying these photographs are being used without our permission, take them down. Mm -hmm. What was the tone that you took? Was it like a demanding tone? I mean, I don't even know how I would oh, begin to no, 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 craft no, no. an no, email no, like no, that no, no. without... Yeah. Um, what did you tell? What did you say? Ultimately, I was I was representing my organisation, right? Um, so I didn't want to take a tone that was 
confrontational or in any way agitating. Um, it was just a statement of fact, really. It was just, you know, good afternoon. I see you've used these images. We haven't given you know permission to use for your journalist to use those images. We haven't corresponded with your journalist. You know, this is in breach of copyright law, which it was, um, quoted the section. And within an hour, they said, yep, you're absolutely right. Boom, photos taken down for you. Thanks very much. So I just responded saying, yep, thank you. Much appreciated. Have a great day. Um, I don't think being confrontational will get you anywhere. If anything, it will just prove their point. That bit that you mentioned in the article about the journalist actively soliciting readers saying, do you know somebody who is a World War II reenactor? Please reach out to us and let us know who they are and, mm -hmm. and what they do. I mean, that was absolutely terrifying yeah. stuff. And that was something that I had never seen in any such article before. It was I like a terrifying new dimension of risk. anything like that, you know, in all my years I've been reenacting. Um, it's very dangerous. It's very irresponsible. Because, um, you know, you, you don't know who these people are. You don't know if, you know, God forbid, you know, someone was in, you know, a very sensitive predicament through no fault of their own. And they're now being exposed in national media because all they do for a hobby. I think that's not just irresponsible. I think from a journalistic point of view, it's highly unethical as well. But sometimes you expect nothing less, you know. Sure. I think it's unethical, too. Um Act, you know, kind of asking the public to sort of do your reporting for you and drop a dime. And, you know, here's your opportunity to settle a grievance with somebody that you've been feuding with or whatever, or, you know, get your boss in trouble. Or uh, it's just uh, really, I think it sets a really kind of scary precedent. And uh, I certainly hope not to see something like that in a piece like that ever again. Yeah, you're absolutely right, especially where we're concerned. You know, it's, um, not something we really want to see especially with the the sort of tone that sets it almost it almost sets it like you know do you know these people these wanted men it, it's it's very very bizarre it's like i just i just play dress up for a hobby man come on leave me alone i don't want to be hunted down i'm not a murderer leave me be <laughs> yeah um do you think that if you had if you had talked to the journalist mm. If you had given some comment when a comment was solicited, do you think that there's anything that you could have said that would have created some kind of positive aspect in an article like that? No, and the reason I know why is because they already had comments similar to that in the article. Um, all they all they will say to that is, you know, these these guys say they're not political, but yeah, are they really? You know, they had a they had a counter argument from a quote unquote historian who was arguing that you know, no matter what they do, everything they do is political. And well, the implication was it's politically motivated, which you know that's another that's a whole another can of worms. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't matter what we said; we could have we 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 could have said absolutely everything that is you know what we would consider to be enough or to explain what we do. It would have just been dissected in a counter argument. So there was absolutely no point in in saying a word because other people had, and all all, all that led to was you know the, the exact same result. Their photos were there. They were effectively accused. Well, not not accused, but um, there was the implication of uh, you know political activity through a counter argument. So yeah, it, it wouldn't have helped in any way, shape, or form. Which is which is terrible because you know most reactors I know are perfectly normal, lovely people, and it's a, it's a shame to think that no matter what they say or do, 
there are certain individuals, not every journalist, I will make that perfectly clear, but there are some who have an angle or a story in mind, and, and that's the story, no matter what you say or do. I totally relate to that. Um, I can think of times where I was approached by a journalist, I gave some comments, um, and then the article came out, and the journalist had found reenactors who would say things that were inappropriate or tone deaf or um, that were kind of expressed maybe in, in not the best way. And all of those comments got like top billing mm. and were prominently featured. Whereas the stuff that I said maybe wasn't included in the article at all, but like my photograph was included in the article. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's sort of another pitfall I think that can happen with reenactment interface with the media where they'll just keep talking to people until they can find somebody to fall into the trap somebody who maybe is incredibly well-meaning but just lacks the savvy to understand how something sounds like I'll you know I'll give an example um I remember reading an article one time and I'm not calling anybody out specifically here and I don't hold any ill will but and I understand what this person was trying to do, but they mm-hmm. were saying, "Listen, um, I am not a Nazi. I have a I have a Jewish girlfriend or a Jewish wife or whatever." Which um, this kind of rhetoric, it can be seen as tokenizing. Mm-hmm. It, um, you know, maybe a person a person can say that and think, "How can you not see that this shows that I don't harbor some kind of ethnic animosity towards the old enemies of the Nazi Third Reich?" Um, but it doesn't really come across that way now, exactly like how you would want it to. And so, um, you know, and that's and that's of course a relatively mild thing compared to some of the uh, verbal missteps that some reenactors have made talking to the public in some of these uh, exposés that we've seen over time. Yeah, yeah, and like I was saying earlier, I haven't read anything in an article or seen anybody say something in a documentary. I haven't personally seen it in an event, so it's just a case of it's a case of just think before you speak. For the love of God, it's it's not. It's not hard, and I know we're, we're we're preaching to the to the choir here, but yeah, there's there's always going to be one, and you know, un- unless you're talking about massively regulated, you know, organisations, this is always a problem that's going to occur. It's just the nature of the beast, you know. It's a come one, come all hobby. This is just part and parcel of what we have to deal with, and I don't see it improving anytime soon. I was thinking today about this, and I was thinking about it in an unrelated way, but I was thinking that um, something that I don't like about reenacting is that there is a tendency sometimes in reenacting for all of us to sort of pretend that reenactment is something that it isn't, to pretend that realities of reenactment are different than they really are. And I think we do this because we see the good things about reenactment. We know how we feel Mm. about it. We know what it means to us. But I think we lose sight sometimes of, uh, you know, some realities of it and, and what it looks like to other people. I remember years ago, I used to get into heated arguments with people uh, people who were adversarial to me, they didn't like me, they didn't like reenacting, and they'd say, oh, you do this Nazi dress up, these people are Nazi sympathizers, there are Nazis, and I would get 
really insistent and say, no, there are not. These people are not. These people are just history buffs. These people are not Nazi sympathizers. But of course, um, an uncomfortable reality is, is that you can find people with all kinds of political views in reenacting. And there really is no mechanism in the hobby as a whole, there's nothing to stop anybody from saying I'm a reenactor mm-hmm. and go and finding mm-hmm. some kind of reenactment that they can go to. And so there is never going to be any mechanism to vet absolutely every participant in this thing and make sure that their views are in line with any specific criteria that you could set. And so, um, you know, you make a statement like that, that if anybody had any kind of Nazi sympathies, they would be rooted out and they would be kicked out of the hobby. Um, you might say that, but then all it takes is to find one person who's willing to say one you know, dumb sounding comment that suggests otherwise. And now you look like a liar or a fool. And, you know, I just try to... I mean, I'm not saying be honest with uh, with with the press, right? Mm. But maybe if we would be honest, at least with ourselves and each other, um, it would it would kind of stop, kind of close a loophole that I think some of these journalists are able to exploit sometimes. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, we we talk about the hobby, kicking people out of a hobby. What is the hobby? It's just a collection of groups. It's just a collection of people. It's not a monolith. It's not an organization, at least not in most countries. So when you talk about the hobby, it doesn't really exist outside of the abstract. So I think all you can really do as a group leader, as a reenactor, is just be mindful of you and your own, you know, not not saying police and what i'm saying is just you know run an organization how you want to run it if you want to be if you want to run an organization like i do where you're very conscious of what your members say and do representing a member of the group online or in person fine do that but that's all you can do you can only police yourselves so it's scary because there's no there's no real answer to it right there's there's nothing to stop someone just coming to an event snapping photos and saying these guys are this these guys are that so just be mindful of you be mindful of your group and if that mentality spreads far and wide then hopefully we should have less issues but never say never sure i've also unfortunately seen it where reenactors will be interviewed by the press and they will throw other reenactors sort of under the bus mm-hmm. in order to make them look like the good guys. They'll say, oh, yeah, there are uh, bad people who do this. There are, you know, I saw this at an event once. I saw that mm-hmm. at an event once. And uh, I think that's maybe the worst thing that you can do because um, not only are you giving them fodder for their sensationalist reporting on this, but you're really not coming off looking like you're the morally superior person either because you are still participating in this hobby with these people that you yourself are now saying are naughty neo-nazis or whatever so that that is a strategy that i would strongly encourage people um to avoid and to really encourage people not to take that kind of uh tactic when speaking to the media yeah absolutely i mean hobby politics have always been hobby politics end of the day but you know, there's there's a there's a lot more at stake. I'm not saying cover for people who you know are bad people, but you know, be mindful. It's like I say, it's not a question of fear; it's a question of when. I can, I know that there are people listening to this and they're thinking, well, um, 
What if a group had a designated person to talk to the press, somebody who was media savvy, a good talker, someone who's very up to date on, um, you know, sort of how different comments can might be able to be perceived in in our current and rapidly changing political milieu. And um, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. Mm-hmm. Um I can only offer my opinion and my opinion, you know, kind of as we alluded to before is that there isn't really anything that you can say Mm. that is going to create positive um, press. The person doing the article almost certainly already knows what they're going to say. They just need people to say whatever soundbite it is that they have in mind and they will find somebody to say that. And, um, you know, they can always twist what you say. They can always put it in a context that you never imagined. You might say something that's really um, milk toast and really bland, but then when you get sandwiched in between, um, you know, a religious figure talking about moral condemnation mm. and some kind of um, university professor who says that you're you're participating in the glorification of a g- genocidal holocaust it can it can sound totally different yeah. so um you, you know what i mean oh absolutely yeah it's it, it's so hard it's so hard to walk that line and like i say i can only speak from my perspective from running an organization how i run it and as someone who has run a this organization i don't know what i could have done any better i don't think there is anything more i could have done personally and, and like i said you know not all journalists are bad people they're genuinely not like some you know, especially local ones who are just running a story and trying to promote local events yeah great great but especially when we're national journalists it's where it can get a bit more tricky right um so yeah just just be just be mindful i mean and if you don't know don't don't say anything just don't comment just say you know sorry i'm i'm new to this i'm you know i'm not getting involved just just don't comment just just don't if you if you, if in doubt just don't yeah it's um it's also true that even a local a local news story can become a national news story if it's a slow news week and it gets seen by the right pair of eyeballs and it you know it becomes can become uh syndicated to all the all the newspapers out there um so it just is really tough. I'll be perfectly honest with you, Reese. Um, it's just sometimes I think that the reason why World War II reenactment is able to exist at the level that it exists at is because most people don't know that it exists. Yeah. And I really hate I hate to say that because I love reenacting. It's so much fun. I've met so many great people. I've learned so much, and I it would encourage people to do it. I mean, I, I love talking about it. That's why I have this podcast, but, um, there's just such a potential, especially now with the, you know, I, I hate to even use the term cancel culture, but there is this sort of cycle of outrage that, that social media and the internet can, can create where this stuff can blow up really quickly. And I just, um, I just would hate to be on the wrong side of that because it can be really damaging. People can lose their jobs. People can have issues with, um, you know, their their loved ones, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just really sad. And it's uh, 
it's it's disheartening, but it's it is a reality of our world that I think that we're very uh, we ignore that at our own peril. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, historiography, historiography is always evolving. You know how we view um, historical events is always evolving, and I think the Second World War has enjoyed, especially on the German side, has enjoyed a bit of a grace period in the last, you know, how many years on now, eighty years. Um, Views change, um, perception of what's tolerable changes. Um, it always has done. This isn't anything that's unique to, to to culture nowadays. It's just the way things things go. Things fall in and out of fashion. Things are acceptable. Some things are not. Um, so yeah, I think like you say, we, we you know we avoid we we ignore that at our own peril. So be conscious, be aware, but more importantly, be safe. If you know if your members have a concern and you're a group leader and they don't want to have their photographs in you know in in your in what you output. Just be as accommodating as you can, I say. You know, just at the end of the day, we've all got lives. We've all got people to go home to. We've all got bills to pay. So in my opinion, yeah, you know, some things are worth more than the hobby sometimes. But, yeah, it's a shame. It is such a shame to see how, how things have changed. And I do hope that, that that course can be reversed one day. But we'll have to wait and see on that, won't we? A lot of former military members kind of are drawn to reenacting. Some of those adrenaline rushes kind of kind of come back. There's no perfect unit out there where everything is just nirvana. And, you know, there's going to be butting heads. There's going to be different ideas. There's going to be instances where it's almost like middle school or high school drama. Not only are events being cancelled, but Soviet reenactors, often reenactors who have supported the same shows, for years and years are, are essentially now being said that they're, you know, being told that they're persona non grata. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. Reese, thanks for coming on here today and uh, sharing your wisdom about this. I really appreciate your perspective on this stuff. No, Chris, thank you very much for having me on and uh, congratulations on another full year of Reenactors Corner. We hope to see you in 2024. Thanks very much. Um, I'm sure we'll talk again sometime soon. And uh, if I don't talk to you before, uh, happy holidays to you, Reese. Thank you, Chris, and to you and yours. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you very much to all of the Patreon supporters. Without you guys, we wouldn't be able to keep doing the podcast. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. And uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to everybody out there. And I will see you in the field. We love hearing what you think about the podcast, so why not reach out to us on Facebook or Discord? Just search for The Reenactors Corner and you'll find us there. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Your generous contributions, no matter how big or small, really do keep us on the air and you'll also get regular additional exclusive episodes as a thank you. You can find details of where to find us on Patreon in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time here on The Reenactor's Corner.